Sports Radio 104.3 The Fan. Every Saturday morning, it's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Terry takes you inside the outdoors. You know, hunting, fishing, camping. It's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Now, here's Terry. Good morning on this beautiful, what a, what a day in Colorado, huh? November, what, 6th, and the sun is shining. It's going to be 70-some degrees, and don't tell anybody. We just keep it to ourselves because we want to keep this weather, and we want to, you know, we want the population to do okay, but we don't want to bring a million pe- more people here. But you know what? We do want to get as many of you outdoors as we can. You know, sometimes people think of outdoor people as not wanting to share their information. Well, I've been doing this show. We were just talking. This next year will be the 25th year. I've been an outdoor writer for four decades, and I did 22 seasons of television. So I'm kind of used to sharing what's going on out there. And to give you the truth, it gives me so much pleasure when I see somebody else catch a fish, harvest an animal. It just is so much fun. And speaking of somebody that brings fun to everybody's life, let's go to the phones. And joining us is Nate Zielinski. Good morning, Nate. Good morning, Terry. How are you today? I'm good. I had to bring you up because I was starting to ramble. Uh, I like it. You know, and I am all about sharing all of your hot spots as well. So I think that's a good thing that we do. Uh, you know, it really is. I know the years of doing television, especially, I'd get people say, well, I want to do your show, but you can't tell anybody why we're fishing. I said, well, why would they watch if we're not going to tell them? <laughs> you know, I mean, you know, and and the whole idea, I love sharing the outdoors and getting people involved and seeing them smile. And, of course, you and I, I have kids and grandkids. You have young kids, seeing them come up with it. It's really great. And another thing I used to tell them, Nate, you know, if you're really worried about it, if you're that good, catch the fish they can't catch. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's it, Terry. And that brings on a, a kind of a funny point. You know, we've been doing a lot of these live feeds with Colorado Parks and Wildlife. And after the feed. I'll get, you know, comments and texts like, hey, you're giving up too much information. And honestly, Terry, when you look at the the general population of hunters and anglers, the anglers and the hunters that oftentimes are not educated, it's not for anything wrong. They're new or they just haven't had the experience. And honestly, it's usually the uneducated that, you know, might cause issues that might blow a hunt by walking through the trees wrong or keep a fish that'd be a great, you know, breeding fish for the future. And it's really nobody's fault. It's not out of out of, you know, a, a. your true point of doing so a lot of it's just slight negligence from not being educated so i always tell people the more we can teach the more we can give away the more advanced these you know hunters and anglers are going to be and therefore they make great decisions and you know i say that all the time if i have a hunting spot that you know might get blown up or a fishing spot it very rarely is it from another you know successful hunter or successful angler so i'm all about making sure everybody is more successful because with that success comes education and honestly everything is a better place in the woods on the water uh the more educated people get so i am all about sharing that information that's what i think you know both of us really uh strive to do on this show and seminars and and everything that we do content wise you know i wasn't going to get off on this but i'll make one more comment too that i was so blessed growing up well karen says i got older in northern minnesota i didn't grow up but living in northern minnesota and then colorado and i had so many people help me in the outdoors uncles grandfathers my mom and dad i mean my relatives my friends it was a culture where i lived 
And then later on, when it became my career, I, I was a tournament fisherman for quite a while. And I realized that as a tournament fisherman, I was trying to be somebody's hero, not sharing. And you and I both used to fish tournaments quite a bit. And then we became outdoor educators, really, Nate. Uh, you with your guides and everything you do with tight lines and me with the TV, radio, magazines, everything we've done. And I've so many people helped me along the way both professional and just friends and outdoor enthusiasts that I really need to give back and pay that forward. Absolutely, Terry. Again, I think it's just one big circle. And the more that we can do to share it, just uh, the cycle continues. So I, I agree 100%. That's what it's all about, for sure. All right, so what's going on out there? You know, Terry, I know you kind of started the show talking about the nice weather. And, uh, you know, Mandy had, my wife Mandy had a second rifle uh, buck tag. She was fortunate enough to create that success about, nine minutes into opening day last Saturday. So she's tagged out. I had four or five other friends with tags. They're all tagged out. Um, so right now, since I personally am not in the field, I am loving this weather. Now, I personally have a third rifle deer tag, so I am hoping that by next Saturday, the weather just turns absolutely awful. But right now, while I don't have a tag and why I'm walleye fishing, uh, you cannot dream of better weather right now cold enough at night to keep everything happening but nice enough during the day where there's no misery uh we are very fortunate with that and i know there's some hunters out there that are hoping for migrations and some hunters that you know are hoping for some colder temperatures to kind of push the deer a little bit more towards that rut situation uh but right now you just can't beat it so we're going to kind of touch base on that we want to kind of start talking about the third rifle combined hunt here in colorado so that's going to be an elk and a deer hunt and then i have to do some talking about walleye fishing the front range i mean particularly Chatfield, Cherry Creek, uh, are just absolutely fishing great, Terry. And we have some kind of different things happening, and I don't really know if it's different or if I've literally just not put as much focus on it in the last, you know, 20 years of guiding. But we're really seeing fish kind of all over the place. So I kind of wanted to fill people in on that. Um, so wherever you want to start, fishing or hunting, we got a lot going on. Let's talk fishing right away because what you said about the fish being all over the place, we had a warm fall, and typically we get some turnover that spreads the fish out as we get into a little earlier than this. And then we, we see the bait fish school up. We see those fish concentrated. And I'm talking to people that are catching fish, but they're not fishing those huge concentrations. Yep, absolutely. And I would say that, you know, so you look at a Chatfield Cherry Creek, the forage base is gizzard shad. Generally speaking, when you have this gizzard shad forage, you know, I would say 90% of the time when we're targeting walleyes, um, especially with like fall presentations of jigging style structure oriented fish, you know, you're fishing them on the top half of the structure. So if you have a roadbed, a point, coming out of a gravel pit, whatever the structure is. Um, usually you're fishing these walleyes on that top quarter percent. So it's the top half of that structure where really the interaction of predator-prey takes place. And that's very common, or finding them on a deeper water flat. And that's usually where we see them. And, you know, we see them in deeper water at the bottom of the contours. But generally speaking, a lot of times those fish are inactive. Where you see the fish really hanging on the bottom of the structure is when you have a spot tail shiner base or a perch base. When your food source is really living low in the water column, you see those lower basin bites really doing well. At Chatfield Cherry Creek, we don't see it as much. We see the basin bite doing good in the spring when they're feeding on bloodworms and midges. But right now on young shad, usually we see our walleyes up high. And right now at Chatfield, uh, just in the last three to four days, I've been out there and I have caught fish as shallow as three to four feet of water dropping off into deep water. And I've been catching a ton of fish on the bottom of the structure 
you know, in 20 to 30 feet of water. So I'm catching fish all over the place. That's kind of what I want to touch base on is really having an open mind. The bite right now, especially at Chatfield, it is going strong. I'm doing best on jigging wraps, but I'm also catching fish on blade baits. I'm catching fish on spoons. Um, so there's a lot of, of opportunity with different techniques. And honestly, Terry, the bite is good enough right now to where if I pull up on a pot of fish, and whether they're on top of the structure or on the bottom, if I can't activate a fish in five, six casts, I'm moving on. That's how good the bite is. Now, there's times in fall when your, your forage base is so thick, you have to grind on fish to, to have a good day on the water. You have to beat them and beat them to get them to take a bait. Right now, that bite is on. So if I make four, five, six casts and I don't have a fish, um, I'm moving on to the next pot of fish. And that's how good it is until I find that pot of fish that is going. Um, this last week, I had a, a bite morning and afternoon that has just been solid. Uh, the other evening, I had a guest on my boat. He did 12 fish in 12 casts um then we finally missed the 13th and we got back on streak on the 14th fish but i mean having 30 40 even 50 fish days right now is not uncommon and we're getting some really big fish mixed in so um again i don't know if it's just a nice weather it is is highly populated as our shad population is right now it's blowing my mind how good the fishing is usually when your bait fish is this thick it leads to somewhat tougher times. But right now, uh, we have not seen those tougher times. I don't know if the water continues to, to decrease in temperature, if we're going to see a slowdown, but right now that bite is good. So the, the main thing to think about is really look at all the fish. Study your graphs. We're using side imaging. I know we posted a bunch of Facebook videos this week uh, of Josh and Dustin out there using their electronics, showing it, talking about pan optics and side imaging. Um, but find fish and fish those particular fish, and you should expect results pretty quick if not keep moving on but the big difference normally we are always focused on the top of the structure for whatever reason right now i would i would not count out anything i would go approach the water as there are no rules whether they're up high in the water column down low at the base of the structure on the top of the structure um, we are catching fish all over the place and every day seems to be different one day the fish on top of the structure are going extremely good some days the fish in the basin are doing very good. So fish around until you find those fish. Once you do, you're going to have a great day on the water right now. All right. I want to make a couple comments, and we've got to quickly move on to the deer because you and I spent quite a bit of time in the beginning of the show on other things. But one of the things I, I gathered from what you're saying, too, is there's lots of bait. That's why your, your, your presentations are truly reaction presentations. Yep. You're not trying to feed them. You're using blades and jigging wraps and spoons. You're trying to get a reaction rather than have them take something feeding. Is that right? 100%. You're working the bait aggressively. You're working that on the bottom. You're only hopping up about a foot or so. But, but you know, heavy bait, very aggressively snap jigging it, keeping it low, but aggressively snapping it. And it's all reactionary fishing. All right. couple minutes. What's going on with the deer? So absolutely, Terry. So we are excited about this. You know, again, on the five-year structure plan set forth by Colorado Parks and Wildlife, this is the latest that we have had a, a deer season ever go. So fourth rifle is the latest it's gone in the history that I can remember, which even puts third rifle very late. So right now, as we see approaching third rifle, which is next Saturday, so a week from now, we are definitely starting to see the deer go into kind of a rut phase. They're just barely coming out of the, the heavy timber now, but that neck's starting to swell up. And they're not with the does yet. 
but they're definitely starting to notice them. Uh, even upwards of last week on Wednesday, Thursday, I wasn't noticing this, but just in the last couple days, really yesterday uh, and even this morning, I'm starting to see the bucks starting to notice the does. They're starting to come around. They're paying attention to them, and that's those first signs. So really by next Saturday, we're going to start getting into that rut phase. The true rut's not going to happen until probably that November 20th, 25th, but we're definitely going to have enough rut activity to where you're going to have a major influx of bucks coming into your hunting area. Uh, it's to the point to where instead of just looking for bucks, now you can find does, keep track of the does, and those bucks are going to start coming to those does. So a lot of really increased opportunity for deer here in Colorado going into this third rifle hunt. And then we're just now starting to see those big bulls get out of what we consider post-rut um, and starting to move into what we consider their wintering range. So these bulls are going to spend probably about the next four to six weeks in what we call their winter range or in their kind of wintering zone before they move into what is really the hard-pressed winter uh, coming up in late December. So again, a lot of cool things happening right now um, on the elk and deer side, but more so we're probably most excited about the mule deer opportunities. Um, and if anybody's listening to this, obviously we have to keep it short, but I will be joined by Casey Westbrook this coming Tuesday night on all of the Colorado Parks and Wildlife outlets. So you can go to their hunting Instagram page or you can just go to Colorado Parks and Wildlife on Facebook, and you can join in on that live feed. That's going to be this coming Tuesday at 7 p.m., and we are doing nothing but talking about third rifle. We're going to talk about wintering bulls, talk about big migration herds of cows, and we're going to really talk about that deer rut. So if you want more information, you can always go there. Again, it's Colorado Parks and Wildlife on all their social channels, uh, and we'll be covering that really in-depth for about an hour on Tuesday. All right, my friend, we're going to have to let you go, but I will, I will have to admit that next weekend— if it is too warm and it kind of screws up your hunt, as I'm sitting on my deck with a glass of wine, I'm not going to be feeling too sorry for you. You're not going to feel sorry for me? I, I, I can understand that, Terry. I really can understand that for you. <laughs> All right, my friend. We will talk to you again soon. Uh, thanks, Nate. Thank you, sir. You had Nate Zielinski, Tightline Outdoors on on all the social media, Tightline Outdoors on the on his website, Tightline Outdoors, uh, and Nate Zielinski on on social media too. It's so much information. We're going to take a time out, and one of our favorite guests this time of year, Ed Gorman, who manages the small game in Colorado, is going to join us, and we're going to give an update on the upcoming Upland Games situation here in Colorado. All that and more coming up on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors today on ESPN. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Jack's Outdoor Gear. Uh, any of your outdoor needs, if you're an outdoor enthusiast, you've never stopped in a Jack store, they're up and down the front range, check one out. You'll be pleasantly surprised. And by the way, don't forget to follow us on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on Facebook. Let's go to the phones. And joining us from Colorado Parks and Wildlife is Ed Gorman. And Ed, I was sitting here trying to think, how many years have you and I been doing this uh, Upland Game update together? I kind of wondered that myself, Terry. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, probably that's, close to 15 years, maybe. That's what I was thinking, at least around 15, because we went through 10 or 12 years where, you know, it started out down, and we saw the Upland game really boom here for a few years, a little bit up and down. Last year we had kind of a down year. The weather plays such an important factor, and it's we're always in, in fighting weather and habitat. Um, but you told me we have a little more optimism this year. Tell me what's going on. Yeah, I'd say there is certainly a, uh, a little, little more excitement in terms of how many uh, bird populations in Colorado. I don't want to mislead anybody. It's not going to be one of those 2010-like years, but uh, 
there's certainly more pheasants in Colorado this year than it was last year. Um, the ultimate forecast is kind of spotty. Um, if you can find the birds, you're probably going to find good numbers of them, but they're not going to be everywhere. So, and, and then, like you said, weather plays a huge role and we kind of see that saw the drought kind of subsist through last winter, but uh, then, um, change in may and get a lot of moisture and then back to june and july hot and dry which is unfortunate i think we we were kind of looking really good after we come out of may but uh you know mother nature has her say always so yeah we don't we don't get much control over that do we no unfortunately you know and there's two factors you mentioned there's the weather and the habitat um before we even get into those just a little bit you kind of talked about the weather but you and i talked earlier and you said there'll be birds out there but it's going to be spotty. You kind of alluded to that. So is this kind of a year where if you're not seeing birds where you're at, you probably better move because there are probably not going to be many in that area? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think you'll know right away or within a fairly quick amount of time if, if you're in an area where there's just not many birds at all. Um, if you're hunting habitat that looks like it should hold birds um, and you're not seeing them, then it's probably time to pick up and move. And, and for a couple of reasons, one, um, an area just a few miles away could be totally different uh, based on how unpredictable the uh, summer rainstorms have been. And you never know if you're in an area that got some hail early on. That can really that can really have a negative impact on you if you get that. So it's it's always best if you're not finding them move around. Um, you know, this year I think you know you're probably going to want to go to the to the areas that are interspersed with pivot irrigation because um, those areas would have had a little more moisture in June and July which is real critical for uh, 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 chicks' um, survival. So, you know, always think about that kind of stuff. It's, the story's always written earlier than the, than the actual hunting season, and it's kind of difficult to predict, but uh, we see the patterns and we know what the patterns result in. So, Well, one of the things I think about, and you and I have talked about this over the years, you know, people get all excited when we tell them there's a great crop of birds out there, and typically they'll do better. And we try to set their expectation by telling them, say, hey, you know, it might not be as plentiful, but if you work, you can get some birds. I just, I think too many people lose sight of the value of just being on the hunt, whether you're with a family member or a friend. And harvesting some birds is great, and you want to do that, but enjoy the process, too, you know. And it's just being outdoors is so rewarding. Yeah, certainly. And, I, I you know, I look at it, I always enjoy the uh, the opportunity to learn. Um, when, when, it's, when it's a tough year, it's really time for you to put together all the experiences you've had over the previous years when it might have been a little easier and you might have been able to find some birds and, uh, you know, use those lessons and apply them to a, a more difficult year. It's kind of it's kind of like passing through a, a grade school on into to middle school or into high school. It's there, There's a test there that's, that's fun. And like you say, anytime you're out with uh, friends and nice weather or, um, even some rough weather days, it's, it's a good experience. So, No, oh, it really is. The other side of the issue, we talked about the weather, and because I don't know if people realize what a huge percentage of birds that are harvested every year are that year's hatch. Um, and if that's down, you don't have as many birds, and the holdover birds are a little more educated. But the other side of that we mentioned was habitat. And not only has habitat probably not as good because of some the farm bill and some things we don't have to get in detail but it's it's um also going to be a little more crowded so what are some of the opportunities that people have to go out and find places to hunt yeah some of the 
what you said is true. Um, some, you know, the fact is in Colorado, we just don't have as much habitat as we did a decade ago. So, um, resources are getting more, more concentrated in specific areas and, and that follows with, with hunting pressure as well. So really some of the, the tricks to the trade are, uh, go hunt some of the, you know, if you're hunting walk-in, um, some of the stuff that's under hunted and walk-in is uh, tall wheat stubble. Um, very few people, relatively speaking, are, are diving into that stuff um, with a group of hunters to uh, to pursue pheasants in it. Uh, you know, we've we've known for 20-odd years or 30-odd years that it's a really good place for pheasants to be that like to be in it. But, uh, you know, I'd say it's just largely not ignored, but under hunted for sure in terms of comparison to good tall grass CRP, which is very popular to hunt. Um, and conversely, we don't have a lot of it. So it's it's one of them things you're going to think about what most people are doing and try something a little different, both in terms of what the habitat you hunt and also the methods you're using. And often that pays off. You mentioned the walk-in access program. There's probably a bunch of new listeners who are, you know, we've had so many people getting outdoors that may not even be familiar. Why don't you kind of give us a reader's digest version of what the walk-in access program is? Sure. So, uh, we started the walk-in access program 21 years ago. This is hard to believe, but it's this year 21 of the program. And uh, basically the nuts and bolts of it are is that the uh, uh, Colorado Parks and Wildlife works with local partners to uh, to lease private land and open that land to public hunting. Um, and we publish it all in a booklet or online, and you can download the maps to your smartphone or other mobile device, and uh, you can get a printed copy of the booklet at any licensed agent. And uh, what you know is you look at the maps and you see yellow polygons and, and you know that I can go hunt those. I don't need to acquire permission because the state has already done that for you. So it's a real convenient way to uh, to get into bird hunting. Um, and it gets you some connection with the, with the land. And, you know, just a matter of fact, being out in eastern Colorado in a pheasant country is always a good thing. But it also opens up other opportunities for you to, you know, by chance get to know somebody that might have some private ground you can hunt on and, you know, it's just a real nice package for you. It's, it takes a lot of the takes a lot of the barriers down to, to first starting hunting, and 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 you know, for those that may have kind of dropped out of the sport, it, it simplifies things greatly. No, it really does, and we don't have time to go into a lot of detail on it. But tremendous program. You know, I'm a huge supporter, folks. Get that brochure or go online and check out the walk-in access because it opens up so much opportunity for you to hunt in places that as as ed said you don't need to ask permission it's posted available for you and i'm going to add something this year that you and i talked about earlier too um and that's the fact that if there ever was a year to maybe go beyond the walk-in access and try to make some private farmland uh, available this might be the one right um yeah i think every year is a good opportunity to do that because um as, as as pressure gets cut on the private land um, you know, the birds are more likely to be hanging around the traditional habitats. They're easier to find, probably a little less spooky. Um, and, you know, it just takes a takes some time and some scouting effort. But um, what better time to, to do that than when you're out hunting on some walk-in stuff? And, you know, you might run into some people that you recognize, and they become lifelong friends, and they might have some acres that you can hunt on. So that's really how, uh, how non-local hunters kind of need to look at it is, you know, this is an opportunity to, to meet some people and become friends and, um, you know, potentially hunt on some private land. Yeah, a couple things. I said one more thing, but I lied. I do that a lot. I'm a fisherman, Ed, so I... <laughs> That's okay. That's yeah, all right. Yeah, I embellish. Um, two things. First of all, a quail. 
Uh, we didn't touch on quail when we touched on pheasants. Similar situation? Yeah, with a twist. Um, so we have uh, three varieties of quail in the state. Um, Bob White scaled and gambles. Um, gambles occur only on the west slope, and most often they're in in towns. Um, so they're kind of limited hunting opportunity. There's certainly some over on the western slope, but it's 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 harder. It's harder to find places to hunt them. Um, scaled occur only in southeast Colorado. Um, wonderful game species. They're kind of down right now uh, for whatever. However, the precipitation patterns have worked out the last several years since 2016. We just have not had the right pattern for scaled quail populations. Bob whites, on the other hand, are doing pretty decent. Um, Bob whites occur in the southeast and in the northeast along the South Platte River. Um, I think we're starting to see more and more coveys, although it's, it's it's not a good year, not a really a great year for Bob whites by any means, but it's it could be a good year, uh, particularly in the southeast. Um, some of the better Bob white habitat stuff is on walk-in access, and uh, of course we're talking southern and eastern Baca County, and that stuff is actually pretty good because. You know, some of the good opportunity because some of the, be- frankly, some of the better hunting opportunity is on walk-in access because we've done habitat work um, to benefit those birds. So, um, good opportunity. Quail are, quail are a tremendous species. You know, we're not we're not a well-known state for quail hunting by any means, but um, opportunity does is is pretty significant. Last thing, and we'll keep this short, but a lot of people are anxious to get out next weekend. It starts. They want to get out there right away. But sometimes when the weather changes and these birds get gathered up and more of the crops are done, uh, it can actually, and there's snow on the ground, hunting can actually be better later in the season, don't you think? Absolutely. So you have a, a couple of issues there. One, um, crop harvest, the more we go into the year, the more corn is picked. Um, and, and standing corn can absolutely ruin a, ruin a pheasant hunt on any particular given weekend, but it also creates a second opening day uh, when it does get picked. So. You know, keep an eye open. There, there's uh, corn harvest has progressed pretty well at this point this year, but there will be a little bit standing by the time the season opens next week. Um, and as you said, the weather weather gets a little rough. It pushes birds back into the traditional type of habitat into the thick cover where people can get at them and close to them. Um, whereas, you know, the weather we had yesterday and today, birds tend to be out in thinner cover where they're more difficult to approach. Um, so it's it's just you kind of. You kind of have to think about the what the current weather has been, what the last few days have been, and, and it's almost like a guidebook to tell you where you're going to find the birds because uh, they don't always live in heavy cover. Um, you know, a lot of that's dependent on weather and wind, and uh, a wise hunter pays attention to those things. All right, my friend, we are out of time, but as always, great information, Ed. Love having you on. I don't know if we can do this for another 15 years, but as long as you're available, you're welcome here. <laughs> well, thank you very much, Terry. You bet. Ed Gorman, small game manager from Parks and Wildlife. We'll take a time out. When we come back, we're going to talk about where you can go get a Christmas tree on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, presented by Jack's Outdoor Gear on 1600 ESPN. I was a little too tall, could have used a few pounds. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, presented by Jack's Outdoor Gear. Today we're on 1600 ESPN. Normally you'll find this show from 9 to 11 every Saturday morning on 104.3 The Fan. It's also podcast there, and you can follow us on Facebook at Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on Facebook. 
if, you, if you're new to this, like what you hear, join us there on Saturdays. And every now and then we jump over here because of a football game. Let's go to the phones. And joining us from Golden Gate Canyon State Park is Kim Thompson. Good morning, Kim. Good morning, Terry. How are you? I'm doing great. And I can't even help but imagine that at the park right now, it has to be just gorgeous. It is. It's beautiful. It's a very beautiful time of the year up here. Um, we just finished with all of our uh, autumn colors, and most of the trees are bare now, but surely is a beautiful time for um, visually and for weather as well. Well, you know, and you, your hardwood trees or your aspens may have finished with their colors, but you are just full of evergreen trees up there, too, and that they just stay green all winter long. You know, we're going to talk about going to cut a Christmas tree, which is an evergreen tree, I think, usually for most people. Um, but before we get to that, uh, you and I had a talk earlier in the week, and I was sharing with you that I think, I'm, I don't know if, if we can say any state park is underused anymore because so many people have gotten outdoors after COVID, but I think Golden Gate Canyon State Park is something, it's almost like a secret. People don't understand that when you turn on Golden Gate Canyon State Road, just, uh, State Park Road or Golden Gate Canyon Road, just outside of Golden, you you enter another universe. It's like you're in a different part of the world, isn't it? It's true. You know, we're just 30 minutes from Denver. But when you do start up that canyon, you know, you already start feeling like you're in a more of a remote um, environment. And then, you know, just a 20, 25 minute drive up that canyon gets you to the park where it's just beautiful. So it has been uh, pretty much a hidden jewel. We have so many people saying that they've lived in the area for their whole life for many years and never had discovered our park. But, you know, with COVID, a lot of that changed. Many of the state parks, you know, forest service areas, you know, county open spaces have seen an increase in visitation. And Governor Polis is a huge proponent of getting out there and enjoying your outdoor areas. You know, early on in COVID, he encouraged people to do so, and they did. And so we do have our, our visitation has increased quite a bit since then. It's great to see so many people out and in, in enjoying the outdoors. Before we get to the Christmas tree event, why don't you share with people kind of exactly where the park is located and some of the amenities? Yeah, so, um, you know, it's like I said, it's just a easy three-minute drive out from Denver. We're just above Golden, so off 93, you take Golden Gate Canyon Highway up, uh, road up the, uh, the canyon. Um, we have primarily people enjoy our park for uh, day use hiking, uh, fishing, camping. Of course, we have uh, snowshoeing opportunities once we get enough snow. Um, but we have um, about 35 miles of trails, multi use and hiking only, meaning multi use uh, horses, mountain biking, hikers, or just specifically trails designated for hiking only. Um, we have six ponds, we call them ponds, on our park because they range in size from anywhere from a half acre to just under four acres, um, and those are all fishable, um, stocked with rainbow trout, are what we call our two backcountry um, ponds. Uh, they are stocked with brown trout once a year, so that's pretty fun. We get those guys in there. But the other uh, more fished uh, ponds in the park are stocked about five to six times per year with uh, good-sized catchable rainbow trout. We have a couple twin ponds that we called ranch ponds and they sit right next to each other they're a little smaller but we stock those with some catfish and bluegill now i want so to that's talk fun to have we have that the fishing opportunities as well again um lots of hiking and camping we have two large campgrounds um, with electric sites um and tent sites one campground is specifically tent camping only a little more primitive 
and we have five cabins and two yurts that are open all year round. Right, and so you have year-round camping, and more and more people are getting out to do that. And before we move on to your event, I do want to mention to people that the ponds you mentioned, a couple of them have become popular ice fishing opportunities. They freeze up pretty early in the year. Um, one of the first ones, because they're small and they're a little bit at elevation, but they're well-stocked. If you want to take somebody that's inexperienced or a youth out, one of them, I think it's Kylie Park, or you can, you can correct me on the name. Um, we actually did one of my television shows there years ago, and that's still available on my YouTube channel, The Best of Fishing with Terry Wickstrom. And we set up, and just with some artificial baits, and we caught a ton of rainbow trout right there. But there's bathrooms there. You'll see wildlife while you're there, and you can drive right up to it. So there's still great opportunities year-round, right? Yeah, you're right, Terry, um, for sure. And it's those two ponds that are more uh, easily accessible off Highway 46 there, they have become more popular for ice recreation, like um, ice skating and and uh, things like that, but certainly ice fishing. Um, they do freeze up pretty early because of their size. Um, the smaller, the, the little half-acre pond, Sloop Pond already had a small uh, layer of ice on it the other morning when I came into work. But, of course, that melts off very quickly with this warm sunshine. But they will be freezing up, and um, plenty of opportunity for ice fishing last uh, January. The uh, hatchery came through and cut a hole in the ice and gave us about 1,500 cut bow trout uh, in there for the ice fishermen. So that was pretty cool. Yeah, so there's opportunities, and you can check the stocking report, folks. They'll tell you. They're not trying to hide that information. Let's get to your Christmas tree event. You know, a lot of people as families love to go cut a tree, pick it out together, take it home. And there's limited opportunities for that because some of the wilderness areas and public lands, we don't want them disturbed or people just cutting the trees. But you guys have uh, at least an opportunity for a number of people to do that. Tell me about it. Right, sure. So every year we hold our annual Christmas tree um, cut, and that is done by random drawing uh, for a permit. Uh, how we do it now is the way that we, uh, Colorado Parks and Wildlife uh, runs their uh, hunting license draws. We um, got in on that program and now do our tree draw through that. So it's really random, um, very efficient. And so we um, offer about 250, we offer 250 um, permits through this program. And last year we got... I think we had like 1,500, 1,700 applicants. So unfortunately, not everybody can get a tree, um, but it's a really fun, really fun experience. We, in the past, we have had an open house, open house here at the visitor center where we have Santa Claus and we have snacks and things like that, a real fun Christmas celebration. But with COVID, you know, things have changed that. So last year and this year, we are foregoing the holiday party at the visitor center once more, but Hopefully next year we'll be back on track with that. But, yeah, really fun. Um, folks can go ahead and go on cpwshop.com to enter um, the drawing. The application period is open from November 1st through November 15th. Um, and we do the drawing on the 16th. And those who were successful in the um, application process will be notified um, that week uh, by email if they have um been chosen or not. Um, applicants will enter their credit card, just like the hunting licenses, will enter their credit card information at the time of applying. Um, and then if you are chosen, your card is then charged the $35 permit fee. And this is not a guided event. This is 
there's rangers and people that can point you in the right direction, but they tell you where to go and what, what, what the rules are. And you come up, I believe it's December 4th is when you're allowed to cut the trees. And you come up as a family or an individual, and you're going to point them in the right direction. But they're going to have to go out, pick out the tree, cut it down, bring it out to their vehicle. It's really going to be that true Christmas tree experience, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. Um, so they do it all themselves. You know, we don't, we don't, you know, they, we have a designated area that they can, uh, you know, go and cut the trees in. Uh, there is a four by four access area. For instance, if you kind of wanted to drive back in a little further with your four by and, and get out and hike a little bit and find a tree there or a little more accessible, but just parking along the road there in our parking areas and, and get out and, and go look for your tree. Um, we have rangers and volunteers there ready to to, you know, steer everybody in the right direction. But, yep, you go out, you pick your tree, you cut it down, hand tools only, so no chainsaws, no, nothing like that um, are allowed by any means, but uh, just a handsaw or an axe, go in there, find your tree, you know, drag it on back to your car, tear it back to your car, and, and get it on the, the car yourself. So we're just there for some guidance, you know, answering any questions, things like that. No, we're um, but of... we offer, you know, oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, our tree selections, you know, on the park, we have quite a variety, but there's Douglas fir, we have ponderosa pine, we have lodgepole, and Rocky Mountain juniper, too. We are out of time, but I, I assume there's information on the website at Golden Gate Canyon State Park? Absolutely. You can go to our website at Golden Gate Canyon State Park, and you can also go to cpwshop.com. There's information and the application there as well. All right, Kim, thank you so much. We have to move on. What a great opportunity. Yes, thanks for having me on, Terry. Appreciate it. Kim Thompson from Parks and Wildlife. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Jack's Outdoor Gear on 1600 ESPN. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, presented in part by Jack's Outdoor Gear. Let's go to the phones and joining us from one of our probably longest running partners. Gosh, uh, A&A Toppers, Greg. Greg, you and uh, you and Darren have been partners with this show for, do you even remember how long it's been? I, it's been forever. Yeah, I really don't. It's been a long, long time. Probably it's, 15 years, I guess, I, somewhere I think it, around there. I think so. at least. And you know yeah. what? You guys have been a great partner, not only because of the way you treat people and the way you run your businesses, but you guys are outdoor enthusiasts, so when it comes to the things we're going to talk about, you guys get out there and do it so you understand the needs of people. And really, I think you guys, all I get is great feedback from people about how they're treated and how wonderful it is. And I know how you've taken care of me over the years. And so it's, and you guys are involved in the outdoor community in so many ways. The reason I wanted to have you on today, we got two or three things going on. One was we're in the middle hunting, which... Different people need to accessorize their trucks in different ways to accommodate that. More people are spending the winters outdoors, and maybe they need to add an accessory or a topper to their vehicle. And then Christmas gifts. Uh, I, I get, I'm hearing from everybody that buy your Christmas gifts early, understand what's going on. So many people are having delivery issues. And I thought instead of fighting that, you might be able to give us some good ideas. So let's start out before we get into some of the accessories. You guys are the go-to source for toppers and tonneau covers, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Been doing it a long, long time and have a lot of inventory on hand. And, you know, like I said, we can we can definitely get you outfitted. Yeah, and you have brands like Snug Top and uh, 
I'm go, I'm going blank here. Is not awful. Lear. Lear. Yeah, Lear's yeah. the number one selling topper in the U.S. And right. and I've had both of those brands on my trucks, and they're both fantastic. And to me, putting a topper on your truck just turns it into that year-round utility vehicle. Like, I keep my ice fishing gear in my back of my truck all winter. You never know when you're going to have to make an emergency ice fishing stop, right? And I can right. And I can keep it there because it's covered, it's out of the elements, away from prying eyes. And then when I get to where I'm going, it isn't snowed in or wet. I can unpack it. So I'm a huge proponent of toppers and tonneau covers. But you guys have so much more. So if I'm looking to outfit for different winter activities or maybe looking at an early Christmas gift, give me some ideas. Uh, Sure. Yeah, we carry, you know, a number of rack systems, uh, which are obviously very, very popular. So, you know, if you're going skiing, we can hook you up with a ski rack. You know, there's still plenty of fishing going on, so we do the river quiver, you know, fly rod holder. Um, You know, for the contractors, we also have, you know, ladder racks and different things like that we can do as well. So, you know, there's a lot of different uses for these racks. People start off with, with one thing, and then they start adding accessories to it for whatever they're using it for. Now, are the racks fairly available, but should, you should get them now, but you're pretty well stocked? Yeah, we are actually extremely well stocked right now. Um, certain products are still out a little bit, but it's, it's a great idea to get, get going early um, just to make sure you can get something for, for Christmas or whatever. But um, right now, as far as rack systems go, we're, we're pretty well stocked on those. Now, another thing that you guys do that everybody who owns a pickup truck likes to kind of make it their own. You can put things like grill guards and chrome gas plates and steps on them. But upgraded lighting is something that's really popular, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It works out works out great, especially for the guys hunting and fishing and what have you like that. You know, we can, we can put extra driving lights, off-road lights on the thing. So when you're in the middle of nowhere, you know, you can see where you're going. Um, we also do a lot of interior lights on the inside of the toppers, so we have some really nice LED options there that'll brighten it up. So once you get where you're going, you can find what you're looking for. Absolutely. And another thing that I think is great, and that's some of the cargo management products you have. You know, it used to be if you wanted some kind of a vault system or cargo management system, it was thousands and thousands of dollars. But you've got to manage to find some brands that are really good that you can get into at really reasonable prices and give you that security, right? Yeah, absolutely. The DECT system is is just a great product. Um, they've changed their, their system a little bit to where they come fully loaded with different boxes in there that fit specifically in the DECT drawers. So, you know, you can you can get an extra set. You can have a set for the weekend. You can have a set for work. Each drawer carries 200 pounds. You can put 2,000 pounds on top of the thing. So it's it's a great all-around product for work and for play. And then if people are there looking for accessories, now we're talking about some fairly substantial accessories, but you guys do winches. But you also, if somebody's looking and they just want to get that cup holder or that maybe that under $50 gift for somebody that has a vehicle they really like, or even WeatherTech mats, which you guys have, you really have a a good variety of gift ideas, don't you? Yeah, we do. We have a lot of different things that you can do. The WeatherTech, full line of WeatherTech is is fairly reasonable and it works well. Uh, The cup phones are popular. The, The floor liners, of course, this time of year are getting real popular. 
Um, we also have a lot of little small stuff, uh, console organizers for, for some of the newer trucks, which works out well because they don't really come with much in there. They're just an open box. So we have a lot of, a lot of nice products for that as well. How about if you just can't decide, but you know that whoever you're buying for really likes their truck or their vehicle, gift certificates? Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know, gift certificates certificates are available. You know, you can put it in for whatever amount you want and then, you know, wrap that up and give it to whoever, and then they can come in and pick out what they want. And tell them where they would do that. What are your locations? Uh, we got two stores. We've got one in Lakewood at 6955 West Colfax and one at Littleton, 5425 South Broadway. And, of course, if they're driving, they can go to aatoppers.com and get those locations and more information on the products, right? Absolutely. Well, Greg, as we get into this holiday season, I just want to say thank you for you and Darren for being such a great part of the show, the way you've treated our listeners, and the way you support the outdoor community. Um, If you're an outdoor enthusiast looking for these products, supporting these guys supports the outdoor community. Thank you, Greg. You bet. Thank you, Terry. Have a good one. You bet. You too. Have a great weekend. Enjoy this weather. Yeah, I'm gonna. We'll see you too. Thanks, Greg. All right. Greg Lanyon from A&A, and you hear Darren on here. They're outdoor enthusiasts. A&A Toppers has been a partner forever, and what we're going to start doing over the next few weeks is featuring some of our different partners and talking about early Christmas shopping, because this could be the year where if you wait to get into the middle of December, you might not be able to find what you want. Uh, I told you earlier, remember to follow us on Facebook at Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. If you're new to this program, remember that normally we're over on 104.3 The Fan from 9 to 11. We get bumped over to our sister station here at ESPN once in a while because of a football game. But if you like the programming, join us there every Saturday. If you can't join us, we podcast virtually everything. We podcast by the hour and by the segment. So if you wanted to rehear just the A&A Topper segment we did. That'll be available on our podcast sometime later this weekend. So all that's going on. Uh, also, you can find a lot of the fishing we talk about on my YouTube YouTube channel, The um, the Best of Fishing with Terry Wickstrom. And by the way, if I get a chance, I'm going to talk some outdoor survival later on in the show today. And uh, I posted an article. I, I wrote a column for the Denver Post for many years and I wrote an article on outdoor survival. I posted that on our Facebook channel, Facebook channel, Facebook page, the best efficient, Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. I'm talking over myself. Go there and take a look at that. Uh, it might help save your life if you get in a bad situation. We're going to take a time out. When we come back, we're going to talk fishing with Austin Parr on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 1600 ESPN.